Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, and man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. So today, I am uh, doing something that has been uh, taken through a lot of prayer and conversations with others, and I feel really encouraged by what we are doing with this particular podcast, but if you're a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, you know that this past summer, uh, this denomination voted to ordain women to the pastorates, and uh, this has been a challenging time for some, and uh, some more than others, and so what what I'm doing in this particular podcast is I'm sitting down with my co-host Dan Stegman, and we're interviewing Pastor Paul Taylor, who was impacted uh, directly by this decision, and we agreed that we wanted to do this to continue the conversation about this this particular issue. And I think you'll agree by the time you finish listening to this that uh, we did it in a gracious way. This wasn't about opposing or attacking, uh, but simply understanding and clarifying and perhaps even educating on uh, on what happened. So I'm going to just say that and uh, go ahead and jump into this podcast right now uh, with uh, Pastor Paul Taylor. I have Paul Taylor and Dan Stegman on this podcast. Dan, of course, is my co-host. And Paul, you uh, you live in Montana, is that correct? Yep, Missoula, Montana. It's cold today. All right. Yeah. Well, it, it was here too. We were Dan and I were talking about that. Um, so this is a we've been praying a lot about this podcast. We're going to talk about the the Christian Missionary Alliance decision to ordain women, and uh, our desire, as I have uh, mentioned in my intro, uh, will be that this is a constructive, uh, positive, but also uh, perhaps digging deeper into some of the issues. And uh, so we've prayed that this will be received in the, in the spirit of, uh, of what we've asked for. And, uh, and do, we do invite uh, you know, people to dialogue and respond to us. And we'll talk about that at the end. But Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're at. And I, I always like to ask people what drives them, what are they most passionate about? Yeah, uh, it's great to be with you guys today. And I have been uh, in Montana now for uh, just over five years. Uh, grew up in Central California and uh, was ministering at uh uh, three different churches in Southern California over, I don't know, a 23-year period. And the Lord directed us uh, over five years ago to come to Missoula, Montana, and also uh, enter and be a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which I'd had no history of being involved in uh, before that. And I, I've got uh, my wife, and we have five children, and uh, we are um, encouraged and uh, blessed in how the Lord's uh, working uh, in the church today. Amen. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, what, uh, how would you answer the question of what you're most passionate about? Well, number besides, one, besides wearing a baseball cap, you're, you're the <laughs> famous guy with the baseball cap. We'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, I would say number one, that the gospel is declared, uh, every day, all the time in every sermon and opportunity that people have. Um, and uh, after the gospel going out, um, passionate about my family. Uh, and, uh, then with that, a third kind of fun, passionate thing is I love to fly fish. So uh, anytime that I get a chance to be out on the water and turn on the Bible, cool. and put it in pocket and go fishing. That's cool. You're in the right well, place. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like to fly. 
I'm a pilot, but I don't fly fish. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, Dan, take over. I, uh, you know, go, let's go ahead and start the conversation here. Uh, we we want to talk about why we we feel a podcast like this is needed and why it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something that, as you said, Mitch, we've been thinking about, praying about for a while, and and we want to to approach it with the right tone and and certainly in a spirit of grace. Uh, but one of the reasons why this is so important is simply because it's been hugely consequential. So you think about the lead up to Council 2023. Uh, I think we, I think the national conversation had been going on prior to that uh, for at least three years, maybe even four years. So it was, it was on the radar. There was a ton of meetings, district meetings, and then obviously just uh, personal interactions, a lot of discussing and, and even debating. Uh, that was just before the decision at Council. And then afterwards, uh, we've had, there's been churches that have left the denomination. There's been a network that has been formed. Uh, so this is something that has, has impacted a lot of people, pastors, churches. It, it's just been so consequential. Um, and, and part of the reason that we feel we need to do this is, well, I'm not sure anybody else has. Uh, maybe maybe they have. I'm just not aware of it. But we want to encourage pastors. We want to encourage church leaders who are really struggling with this. I, I mean, we realize that, that some people, they were celebrating after this happened. Um, mm-hmm. But not everybody felt that way. And, and so we want to to encourage those who are um, discouraged about this and maybe not really sure what's next, what they're, what's on the horizon for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think too, we want to do this because there might be a number of people who had never really thought through on this issue. Um, I would say it was probably about 10 years ago that I felt like I needed to, to have a position on this. Someone reminded me the other day that they sat in my living room when I was pastoring a church some years ago and they asked me what I felt about this. And I, I said, well, I'm still, uh, you know, I lean, I lean complementarian, but I really haven't uh, really studied it that deeply. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I realized I needed to. Um, so, so it's to help people too. Maybe you haven't thought through on this. This is a great time to understand the, you know, the doctrine, uh, which we, we see, we'll talk about this. We do see this as a theological issue. Um, so for you, Paul, why do you, why do you think a podcast like this is important? I think uh, specifically for pastors in the Christian and Missionary Alliance right now is there is a, a sense of we shouldn't talk about this right now and we should continue on. A decision's been made. Don't be divisive. Uh, and so any type of talk like this may be considered that. And I think there's just some fear. I think there's a fear mm-hmm. by pastors. If I say something or if I uh, we respond in this way, what's going to happen to our church? And so this could be something that could encourage uh, brothers in Christ to minister to one another and, and uh, be able to encourage. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, as far as I know, there has not been a podcast that has covered this in, in the Alliance specifically. Uh, I know there's been a podcast uh, several times to, again, reaffirm why the decision was made. Uh, so we we hope this offers that, uh, that I want to say, counter or balance, whichever is the appropriate <laughs> word there. Um, yeah, and uh, Dan, you this is a gospel issue, isn't it? How, how do you how do you feel that it is? Why, why should this? Why is this a gospel issue? Well, it's a gospel issue because uh, it has to do with the bride of Christ. It, it has to do with the, the Church of Jesus Christ, and and so we. I, I have this conviction, and I think we all should have this conviction that the bride should look like the bridegroom, and that 
the, the way that we structure church, the way that we order our churches um, should be according to Scripture. Um, we all live in in this moment in time, 2023. Uh, there's a lot that's going on in the culture, and, and the, the culture is always shifting. Uh, but we've been given a book, and that book is inerrant, infallible, and, and we believe, firmly believe, that we that our church life and doctrine to be ordered and governed by Scripture. Um, so that's why this is a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Paul, any, anything to add to that? No, I, I agree. This is um, uh, this has been lumped into a, at least within our context, a policy issue, and it's been presented in that way in which it needs to be um, uh, brought forth. It's about Scripture. It's about the church. It's about Jesus, and that God's Word is authoritative, and therefore uh, we are to follow that. Uh, th- this morning, our, our men's Bible study was studying John chapter 16 and about the Holy Spirit revealing truth. And so uh, you can't have Scripture meaning two different things. Uh, you have Scripture with one meaning, and the Holy Spirit uh, can give us understanding. So, uh, no, this is uh, an important issue for uh, every church to um, hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I think one important thing to mention here uh, is that we, we we have prayed about and talked about that this isn't a podcast that is uh, opposing. Uh, it's to explain our position, why uh, many have had this this view, uh, but also understand the other side. And so when, you know, we'll be unpacking that issue. We, we feel like it's pretty important to look at this, this discrepancy, this tension between, oh, it's a polity issue. No, it's a theological issue. Uh, so that that's going to be coming up. Let's rehearse the history here. Um, you both, I've been in the CMA for 38 years. I was ordained 38 years ago. Uh, but I want to ask both of you, when you entered the CMA, what, what did you understand the position to be? Uh, so what we're going to do here, we're going we're gonna to kind of rehearse the story, but we're going to start historically and then move towards when this conversation started happening, why, and then what it looked like where it led. Uh, so Dan, you start. What was your early impression on this position? Yeah. So when I was in seminary, I was confronted with this issue. Uh, I went to uh, to Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, and it was uh, very eclectic. There was uh, people from many, many different denominations and uh, a lot of different views out there. And, and so I got to the point where I really felt like I needed to study this out and, and come to my own conclusion, biblically speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did. I, you know, it, it took some time and, and I came to, to my position, which is basically a complementarian position. So when I was starting off in pastoral ministry, um, it was really important for me to know that the Alliance was a complementarian denomination. And actually, I started off at an independent, uh, non-denominational church. Uh, but pretty much from the beginning, I, I contacted uh, our district superintendent, or it was the Ohio Valley District. And I remember talking to the DS at the time, Dave Cleansing. And, and we had conversations about this. And, and Dave assured me that this this was uh, complementarian male leadership, male eldership, and so for me that was really important. Uh, that's how I. Um, one of the things that uh, was comforting to me was that this is where the denomination was at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was uh, interviewed for ordination or licensing first, um, I had to agree not to drink wine. 
Um, and then secondly, I know this issue came up too, you know, with a number of other issues. So, uh, but yeah, one, one of the interesting things that's going to, th- that I'm looking forward to talking and uh, towards the end of this is, is what do you do when you've held to a certain conviction that is held also by a movement, the movement changes, and then suddenly you're out of, out of line or out of sync. I think that's one of the big questions a lot of people have. Uh, but Paul, your, your perception of the alliance in this in this area when you first joined? Yeah. Um, in the spring of uh, 2018, I received a phone call from our our district uh, superintendent. I had had no uh, connection with the CMA other than uh, knowing the history of the mission work. And so in the first two minutes, which he, he even brought it up um, recently, as our church has gone through a process, uh, I told him, I said, well, I, I'd be interested, but I understand that the CMA is ordaining women as pastors. I just read that in an article this week in Canada. And he goes, oh, no, that's Canada. The United Mm -hmm. States, the CMA, we won't be going in that direction. And I said, okay, well, then I can continue the conversation. Uh, Went through accreditation process, um, started at the church in Missoula, and then went through the ordination process. And throughout the, my understanding, uh, even through the ordination process, was that um, the the decision that we've come to uh, now in the CMA was not discussed on the table. And and so I was very clear on being complementarian. And then uh, when I, a couple years ago at council, when it was brought up, I was just surprised because I was like, oh, wait, I thought we weren't going there. So mm. this was, even though I was told this has been discussed for years, for me being new, two years ago was the first time that it was brought forth that I even knew that or other things I found out regarding churches and the denomination and their practices, uh, which I just had no idea on. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, Dan, you it's it's been interesting how we all can cherry pick what we want to rationalize or justify a position. And of course, A.B. Simpson's our founder. And mm-hmm. there have been a lot of uh, articles, paragraphs that have been posted that, uh, you know, suggest that, uh, hey, he, he's, he was on board with this. You wrote a paper recently um, quoting a lot of Simpson's view on this, um, where, and I'll say this, and then you, you kind of just summarize briefly what the paper is but um, if there was any leaning towards women pastors it was it was viewed as a as an exception uh, not as a rule but what did you discover what's been your perception or impression of where Simpson stood on this well, it was a long time ago that uh, several months uh, that I had discovered this um, this article that he had written for the the Christian Alliance I think it's it dates back to 1891 that kind of circulated around uh, and very complementarian you, you would say that that was before complementarian that kind of language was used uh, but I, I found this article and it was it's pretty clear and I, I want to read a quote from it uh, but then later on several months later I found another um, quotation from his commentary I believe it's on Romans 16 and and that was written several years later so during the debate during the na- national conversation one of the things that was said is that Simpson was very open to women pastors women um, 
ordination, that kind of thing. And, and as you said, that may be true. There might have been some exceptions where women were installed as pastors out of necessity, but it certainly wasn't the norm. And, and we need to be careful when we take the exception and make it the norm. But let me just give you, let me just give you a, a little sample from this article from back in 1891. The scriptures have regulated women's ministry. The head of every woman is the man. The head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. This is the scriptural order of the sexes, but this does not authorize the exclusion of women from public work for the Lord. It seems to me that the New Testament prohibits women from the formal and official ministry of the Christian church in the strictly ecclesiastical sense. She is not called to be a pastor, an elder, a bishop, but besides the official ministry and government of the Christian church, there is infinite room for proclaiming a glad message of salvation. So Mm. one of the things that's very striking about that is there is an open openness there. Uh, women are essential to the life and ministry of the church. He was very open to that, um, but he's also clear. She's not to be called a pastor, an elder, or a bishop. Um, so one of the things I, I do in that paper, I, it, it's available on my blog, if, if anyone wants to look at it, is just lay it out there so that people can see what Simpson actually said himself, not just in, in one place, but in, in two places. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other places where he taught on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really helpful, and we'll post that that article on the website as well. Um, so, as, in terms of the the process or the, the you know the, the story how it unfolded, uh, we already talked about a national conversation happening about three years ago, um, and also uh, Paul, you alluded to the fact that there were churches already uh, referring to women as pastors. Uh, so, when you saw that, what was your reaction? How did that con- um, I'm one of those type of people that when I see something that's out of line, for some reason, I go into like, uh, I don't know, CSI mode and I want to figure out what the... <laughs> yeah, I'm like are. that too. It's gotten me in trouble many times. <laughs> and and so I, I saw a website and I just saw women as titled as pastors and I was like, well, that's strange. That's not allowed in the CMA. And so I um, uh, thought about it and then I started looking and I, I realized there were numbers of churches. And so I contacted our leadership and said, hey, what what's going on here? And and the communication was, well, it's not in our district. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but we spent a whole day in ordination on constituted authority. What if I'm reading the manual correctly, this is not allowable. Why is that? And it was explained to me, well, each district has to, you know, handle it their own way. But I, I was just I was blown away by it. And mm. then the closer we got to council, uh, more and more churches that had um women with the title of pastor at their churches, I just, it it, it surprised me and uh, mm. was blown up by it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that came out during the national conversation was uh, was two papers with two views. Uh, Dan, sum up, we're going to come back to that because we're going to talk about this, this idea that um, there are two issues that can be valid. And what I'm, where I struggle with that is, is how can you have a conviction about something that's biblical and theological? Uh, but then say, as we were encouraged to to say from these papers, I could be wrong. So I, I really want to unpack that idea because that's been fascinating to me. I mean, it's a, it's really, 
this has been so good for my own growth, uh, you know, to really look at what I believe, why I believe what I do. And um, and does conviction allow for us to say I could be wrong? It, it's, but again, I'll get back to that. But sum up the two views. Sure. So the, the, the first view is essentially that women should not hold the title pastor. Uh, that's the traditional complementarian position. Uh, in other words, men and women are equal in every way under God. They're joint heirs in Christ. We celebrate that. However, uh, God created men um, to lead in the home and in the church. So there's that little distinction there at the end that's very important. Uh, and there's plenty of scriptures to support that and, and the authors of that paper. Uh, I think they did a, a good job of supporting mm-hmm. that. Yes, yes. They also argued that um, elder and pastor, it's the same in the New Testament. Uh, and there's several scriptures that could be pointed to. Uh, so they're essentially synonymous, elder and pastor. So that's the first view. The second view is pretty much the opposite. Uh, women should be given the title of pastor. So this is more the egalitarian position. Um, and they, it starts off the same way. Men and women are equal under God, uh, but then that's where it departs. Uh, therefore, because of our equality, that equality should extend in every direction, including church leadership. And one of the things that that they argued, you know, there's, there's so much that could be said, but I think this is one of the key points, is that because CMA polity allows women to do virtually everything that a pastor does and is required to do, um, why not just give them the title pastor? Let's ordain women. That's that's kind of the underlying argument. They're already doing it, uh, kind of like Paul mentioned. Let's just give them the title pastor. And, and that's kind of one of the things that I heard after mm-hmm. this went down in June. People were saying, well, not much has changed. You know, the only thing that's really changed is uh, the titling here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of, those are the two views. Women should not hold the title pastor. That's complementarian. Women should be given the title pastor. That's egalitarian. Yeah. And and women are permitted to preach. And I asked the question of our leadership, uh, does that mean that a woman can be, she can't be a lead pastor because that means she'd have to be an elder, but she can be the primary teacher. And, and I kept getting a no response. But when I pursued that with some stunning logic, <laughs> um, it, it they agreed that, yes, there could be a lead pastor, but there could be a woman who is the primary teaching pastor. And uh, and I think we're we're seeing that take place already. Uh, Paul, chime in any before I move on. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I'd, I'd say that this has helped our church strengthen our church to be Bereans and to mm. study the Word of God because when this was brought up two years ago, uh, we brought it to the church right away. And we began mm. to talk about it. Uh, as I preached through the book of Titus, we addressed these things. And so we've had a great response where people just started studying uh, without uh, uh, us saying, here's a resource, here's a resource. And that really led into when we had um, a three-hour meeting with our Dexcoms. And so that that was an encouraging thing to see the church grow in their knowledge of Scripture and confidence in the truth of God's Word. Can I just commend you for that, Paul? Because uh, just being real transparent, um, that was not my approach. And and I was a little bit shy as a pastor. And and I mentioned it a couple times from the pulpit, and, and certainly it came up at elders. Uh, but on the whole, I, I don't think I led well in that. And I think talking with other uh, Alliance pastors, there was a lot of shyness. You know, there was just kind of like, oh, well, we'll see what happened. Uh, but I just want to commend you for taking the initiative and using that as an opportunity
opportunity to, to lead your people into a deeper study of Scripture. And if we're encouraging pastors uh, to, to do anything specifically here, is that, is to, is to teach, to preach on this. Uh, so, Paul, you're telling me that teaching and preaching on this issue changed some minds? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, even um, at a church I was at uh, 20 years ago as an associate pastor, the denomination started to move the same direction. And so myself and two other pastors were asked by our lead pastor to go and talk with the head of the, the district of our area. And uh, at that point, uh, as I began to speak, he, he called me a, a young punk out of seminary who knows everything. <laughs> and uh, he told me, uh, it doesn't matter what I was sharing from scripture or the uh, meaning of the words that it, this was cultural issues. And um, after that meeting, I don't know why, but the Lord put it on my heart saying, you, it's like, you need to know this and mm. uh, teach it to others. Because at that moment, I looked with the other pastors I was with and they were just silent. And I was like, wait, aren't you guys going to say anything at all? And so having the church uh, understand from scripture, I mean, man, it's so important. I mean, and that's, again, the only reason why I said those things or taught those things because it just felt like, well, this is what I have to do. Yeah, yeah. So it eventually went to a vote at council this past summer. Uh, Dan, what was the what was the vote again? What was the percentage? Like 60? 63 to 37, if I remember mm. correctly. Okay, okay. Not quite too so, Yeah. So Paul, there's this famous moment where you come up to the mic and you're wearing the same hat you're wearing now. Uh, I call it the viral hat. And <laughs> I even took a screenshot of it and I'll put that up on the website. Um, t- share share what you, what was going on in your heart, your mind? What did you say? And what was the response to what you said? Yeah. Um, because and this was during I, was the open first time, mic. Yeah. Yeah. And it was my first time at council. I was online at council two years before. Um, during the week, there was just a realization of there's something not right. Uh, the temperature of council, again, I didn't have anything to compare it to. Um, uh, it was like, we need to rush things through to get to this. And I remember even as we went through issues to vote on the statement of faith, it was like, shorten this, make it quick, let's get to this. Mm-hmm. And the day of the vote, realizing that they had already cut other times, um, one of the elders and I got in lines at different mics before the session even opened. And uh, a person cut in front of uh, myself and another man and said he was going to make a point of business and uh, to uh, cut the time. And I asked one question and he got in my face and was, I I was like, are you going to punch me? And uh, so it was Mm. like, Oh, this is intense. Um, and another pastor from Arizona, um, who they lost their facility recently, was sitting right there and is our first time meeting. And it was just kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, I did not think I would get a chance to speak once they moved it to 21 minutes total, three minutes each. I was looking at the microphones and going, I'm not going to get a chance. And then mm. there was a lot of the discussion from those who were for the motion about um, how they had felt called and, and different things. And um, eventually the um, speaker said, we need to have people who speak in opposition to the motion. And there was one pastor before me, uh, and then I had the opportunity. And then the elder from our church, um, he had the last word. And in that, I I had uh, much more written down and 
And it's one of those uh, moments where I hadn't rehearsed this. I had notes written down and was trying to stick with scripture and to point out that um, God's word is the authority for all of life and for the church and began to share that if we stray from that, um, scripture is clear that God will remove his hand of blessing. And Mm -hmm. when I said that, there was audible boos in the room. And I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, I'm getting booed right now. And and uh, it was it was just a weird thing. I was finishing reading out of Isaiah, and they said, your time is up, and they cut the mic uh, while I was reading a passage from Isaiah chapter 40. And it was like I walked away from the mic and sat down next to one of the men from our church that came to counsel, and I'm like, it's over. And that's mm. the thing I had. And it was mm. a sad, grievous moment for me. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, um, we're going to move on here, what this did, because uh, it, it had really strong consequence for you personally. So tell that, tell the story. Yeah. Um, so after the um, vote, uh, the elders and I on our way home, we were in two different vehicles. Um, it was uh, later we shared, there was a lot of the fe- same feelings of just what happened and how did, how did this even pass and a lot of um, discouragement. We had a number of members watching online from home, or as one of them joked, uh, I was watching at work. Uh, with earbuds in so I could hear what was going mm. on. Um, uh. We got home on uh, on that afternoon. On Sunday, I walked into church and we had members who said, well, when do we get to vote to leave? And I said, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, time out. I said, the elders and I, we haven't even met yet. We're going to be meeting this week. Um, I had told the elders two years ago, I will not um, move for the church to make any vote at any time to leave. That would have to come from the elder board and the church desiring that. Um, that I was not at all here to take a church away from a denomination. And so then the elders and I met, um, we met again a week after that, we committed these things to prayer um, and it came to a um, motion by an elder and it was uh, unanimous to bring this to the church to consider uh, departing from the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, From there, we contacted our district leader with a letter. He met with us, began to talk through the process, the possible outcomes, and then we, um, it finally came to a church vote, and that was a three-hour meeting with our district executive committee. Um, and it was one of those um, evenings uh, that was, again, it was a strange thing to me because I've served on Dexcom with these men for the last year and a half. And to have them say to our congregation, they agree with the elders and I doctrinally, but then to say, we don't have to do anything about this because we're not forced to have women as pastors, that did not set well with the congregation. Mm. The, and there were times where there was a request for, you know, show us scriptural support for this. But instead, it was, um, again, this is policy. This is not uh, an issue of doctrine. We specifically requested a waiver of the reversion clause based on a doctrinal difference. And uh, after 10 days after we met with Dexcom and the church and the vote, um, and the church uh, voted overwhelmingly to leave the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, Ten days later, they came back, um, all of them um, on the Dexcom, and our district superintendent read a four, about a four-minute letter and ended the meeting, and in that letter said that they were retaining the building and the finances, and Discovery Alliance Church would continue on. And the response was... Um, 
was encouraging to me. One of the members of our church started singing the doxology. The whole church joined in and sang the mm. doxology. Um, I went upstairs to meet with our district superintendent and the assistant superintendent, and I was told by other members that members went up and thanked Dexcom for coming. Uh, there was no arguments. There was no fights. There was no uh, mm. negative words that were said. And we asked, uh, well, can we um, meet one more time this Sunday? And they allowed that. And we were out of the office by 4 p.m. on the next Monday uh, without a place to meet. And then the Lord provided um, overwhelmingly by a church that in the uh, late 60s left the, their denomination over a doctrinal issue. And their denomination took their building and their finances. And today they are blessing us abundantly with a place mm. to meet uh, because- wow. Do we know what it's like? So now you're talking about how many people? Uh, there's 156 that have left with us, and there is mm. 24 or 25 that stayed at Discovery Lands Church that were actively involved in members before um, mm -hmm. there. Okay, okay. Thanks for sharing that story, and I, I love how you're describing the the spirit and in, in which your your people responded. You know that they were they were gracious and. and and thankful when it could have been an ugly situation. Uh, so that that's encouraging to hear. Um, Dan, share a little bit about because uh, Paul referred to the the uh, reclusion re reversion clause. Uh, you've studied this. What is that? What is the process that uh, churches have to go through if they're uh, wanting to leave the alliance? Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm the guy to, to answer that question. Paul could probably do a better job. Um, but basically, what it comes down to, uh, if you're going going to vote to leave the denomination, um, then you're going to have to give up your building as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and from what I understand, uh, based on my limited knowledge, they can also take possession of, of your assets as well, like the, the district can. Uh, yeah. So that's well, my- Well, share, share, Paul, share how that, because again, there's a three-step process, right? Member, elder vote, membership, yeah. Dexcom, and then church ministries. Yeah. The, the um, When the elders get to a point of uh, voting, to bring that to the denomination, then they write an official letter to the district superintendent and Dexcom. Then you meet with the superintendent, and then the superintendent sets a date for the vote. Uh, in our situation, uh, that and vote also that that time of the vote included Dexcom being there to discuss it and for any questions from the membership. In our situation, they actually they only counted the member vote, but they actually allowed. Uh, we had a, a a large number of non-members that are newer to the church, and so they actually allowed them to vote with a different color mm. ballot. Uh, and all of those um, members, uh, uh, 39 of them voted to leave the alliance and one uh, voted to stay. And uh, so they said, we wanted to see the temperature of all of it. Um, and then after the vote, they took 10 days and they had a Dexcom meeting to vote whether to enact the reversion clause uh, or not. And then they announced it to us uh, following um, that um, and that they did not find there was a doctrinal difference. And Okay. So. Did that surprise you? Because I remember you sharing that there, there seems seemed to be unity uh, in in that in your yeah and, I, and and share share how much you you're comfortable sharing that there are a lot of churches in the, that district that wanted to do the same thing but ended up not. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing about that. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind. I again, I um uh, the men that serve on Dexcom, I've served with them for about a year and a half, and we've talked about this since it was brought up at the council before, and. So there was unity, even to the fact that they stated to our 
our congregation, we voted the same way as your pastor and elders, and we uh, agree. Uh, our the elders and I we met with Dexcom individually before the vote, and as soon as the elders and I shared our position, uh, one of the pastors uh, who's a leader in the group said, "We agree with you. There is a doctrinal difference." Um, and uh, it was that was the consensus. Uh, other pastors in our district have shared the same, and we were the first church to go through this process. Mm-hmm. And now that there has been the reversion in our building and finances were taken, there are pastors that have communicated to me, well, we're we're not going to go through with that now. We are... Well, because uh, they know either, the outcome. You know, one church yeah. uh, talked about writing a, a, a statement of disagreement with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. one of the wow. things that concerns me, one of the things that really concerns me is there's kind of this idea, we we agree with the position, uh, we, we think that men should lead in the church, and so we don't agree with this position to ordain women, uh, but yet we're not going to speak out on it. Um, it. It just makes me, th- I mean, there's a hundred ways we could go with this, but, you know, think of the culture and, and all the things that are are now unpopular to, to speak on and, and things that are now, um, that the culture is saying Christians are, are bigots, and, and we all know this, but if we're not going to, if we're just going to kind of affirm that in our heart that, okay, well, abortion's wrong, but because it's it's not in vogue to speed, speak out against it, we're just going to be quiet. Um, that's very problematic. Um, so I, I guess I, yeah. I share well, you. Well, this is where, also. this is where we want, we want this to be an encouragement to those pastors, because I think they're still in a process of, uh, of figuring this out. And um, I understand the fear. I understand the, the hesitation and, you know, the potential loss. If this had happened to me 15 years ago, uh, you know, I'd be looking for another job, maybe another kind of job. So, uh, you know, but our, maybe our encouragement here is to those that are convicted about this uh, to uh, to talk to us, to not give up, uh, to seek the Lord. And Paul's story is a beautiful story. It's a redemptive story of how God provided. And, and you're, you're landing on your feet quite well, you know. Um, well, so and that, it, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, the, the this is what the Lord has sold me on with his word from a, a totally different situation 2010 to this process is that the fear of man is real and the fear of responding in a way where everyone in the world is going to be against you is it can be terrifying. But mm-hmm. it's like the Lord will protect and bless uh, those who uh, stand for his truth in the sense of think of uh, Joshua telling the people, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, mm-hmm. when the encouragement, don't turn from the right or to the right or left from the word of God, but stay focused. And it it is uh, not just our situation, but you look at Christians around the world who are standing for the name of Christ and being persecuted for it. The Lord does bless them and the Lord does protect them. And so that is the thing that can bring encouragement and courage and strength to us because I, I'll I'll be one to admit that uh, I struggle with people pleasing and and mm-hmm. I, I like to think that I'm a recovering people pleaser and uh, uh, but that yeah so so the you know, booze did not help at council no, not, not at all <laughs> I wonder if they were were they were they possibly booing the hat that you were wearing <laughs> it could be <laughs> well if I could just jump in here uh, I appreciate you guys both saying that because. Um, 
you know, I deal with that too. And and even I already shared earlier where I felt like I was quiet when maybe I should have spoke out. Mm. So this is this is something that that I'm dealing with well, and I'm kind of preaching to myself. But seriously, that is that's a question that we need to ask ourselves if, if we're not willing to stand on the authority and the sufficiency of God's word, then we're going to be in deep, deep trouble, you know, a few years from now when when there's actual persecution in this country, because um, that's where we're headed and, and we can all see it. So yeah, I don't want to to, to come down on, on anyone. I'm just, it, it does concern me. And, and that's why I said what I said. Yeah, good. Uh, so just for information purposes here, uh, the it was up to each district how they were going to handle this, each uh, DS, district superintendent, and the district executive committee or DEXCOM. Uh, the district I'm in chose not to require the reversion clause. So they allowed churches to uh, to keep their buildings, their resources. And I actually talked to our DS the other day. I, I wanted him to know I was doing podcasts, uh, so it wouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, but he said this is a kingdom issue, and we this is a gospel issue. And I told him, Paul, what you're saying, that God's going to bless you personally, and he's going to bless this district for the stance that you took. And um, and, and I, I think that um, it, it's really important to encourage those pastors that feel stuck in a hard place to, to not give up to, uh, you know, there is this uh, network that's formed that I'm part of as well. It's uh, the uh, 1-9 Alliance uh, for uh, pastors that uh, are concerned but not ready to leave. I think that's a good place to go to. We'll put that website out as well. Um, Dan, how do you how do you deal with the? I don't want to get too heavy into this question, but uh, you know, is this a polity issue or is this a theological issue? Uh, we've talked about that already. Um, but how would how would you urge people to see this as a biblical issue and not just a polity issue? Yeah, so that that's something that I heard a lot. I think we all heard a lot from uh, leaders within our denomination. This is not doctrinal. This is not doctrinal. Um, it is doctrinal. I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna say that. I'm not ashamed to say that. This is a doctrinal issue. And in order to understand the issue, in order to, to be informed about the issue, we have to go to Scripture. And, and so we can say that it's a polity issue, which is true. You know, it, it concerns church leadership and church governance. But in order to understand polity, again, we go to Scripture, which means this is a doctrinal issue. And and just think of what it says in First uh, Timothy chapter 2. I mean, that's a big one with this whole debate. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That's a verse that the people on both sides of the debate, they, you have to deal with. You can't ignore it. But then the very next chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, um, Paul says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul was writing these things to Timothy to, to show him how the the church is to be structured and ordered and and even just who the leaders are. You know, qualifications for overseers, that's um, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, deacons 8 to 13. So this is a doctrinal issue. That's, I think it's important to affirm that. Paul, anything to add to that? The argument from the alliance that moving this to just a polity and a policy issue, then that's what enabled them to 
set the scriptures aside and just hold to, well, no, this is just a decision because uh, as much as they said that we would have, or we had thousands of hours or hundreds of hours of debate on this, um, the scriptures were not, uh, in a sense, reviewed or studied by the um, the whole. And again, uh, uh, Dan is great is right on with uh, this is doctrine because when you look at the doctrine of the church, you look at ecclesiology. Uh, again, some of those quotes that brought up earlier about uh, by Simpson, he addresses ecclesiology and he points out the scriptures and say there is no opening in this, and so it is important that uh, it is uh, brought. To in a sense a conclusion or a summary that it is a doctrinal issue. It is based on scripture, and for us to stray and bring it into the cultural realm is departing from the truth of God. Do you feel, Paul, that doing making that a polity issue because according to the manual you can request uh, to leave based on theological difference, but the fact that it never was about theology uh, created that setup to say no, you don't have a an argument here. Or an issue that that justifies leaving. How did oh, you struggle with that? Well, that was exactly what was written in the the decision from Dexcom was that this is not a doctrinal decision. It's only the polity. And I really struggled because they said to the congregation, they said to the elders and I, this is a doctrinal position. We do agree with you, but you don't have to do this. So it was very disheartening, discouraging that to hear and then to read that they said no there is not a doctrinal difference. And so I felt like it was an answer, uh, answering uh, two different ways or, or um, mm-hmm. speaking this way and speaking that way. Mm-hmm. And and I honestly um, have, have struggled the last couple weeks since that was read uh, because of what was stated publicly and then what was written mm-hmm. or things. Yeah. Could I yeah. just jump in here? I think that's, th- this is an opportunity to, to talk about the, the two papers, which we already touched on. Um, Tom Sigmura, I, I I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but he's a pastor in California. He wrote an excellent paper back in April. Yeah, open letter. It, an mm-hmm. open letter. Yeah, it was it was widely circulated. It was just excellent. But here's what he says on this. We're concerned that the CMA is entering dangerous ground by explicitly stating that there are two equally valid views of Scripture. Our leaders imply that when the biblical convictions cancel out, we can make our decision based on extra biblical reasons. While attempt, attempting to widen that the doctrinal tent. The CMA has recused itself from taking a definitive stance. Such an appeal for theological humility has been used by false teachers in the past to promote unbiblical agendas. Yes, we're all to humbly admit that we can wrongly interpret Scripture, but such humility should drive us deeper into mm. God's Word and not away from it. And I think he's right on there. Um, whenever you give this impression that there's two equally valid views, then you're, you're, you're bringing into question the veracity of Scripture, the, the clarity of Scripture. You know, I, I one of the things I told our people um, all the time is that God didn't stutter when He gave us His Word. You know, He has spoken clearly, and of course, there's things that are going to be hard to understand. They're not easy to interpret, uh, but that doesn't mean it's impossible to interpret the Scriptures. So, we need to be like the Berean and, and dig deeper into Scripture. So, I, I think that that's, I, I'm not sure it was a good move for the leadership to, to kind of say, hey, we've got two views here. They're equal. They're they're both valid. Well, let, let's talk about that because that's a, that's a huge issue to me. Uh, Paul, maybe you you reflect on it first that, uh, you know, you, a conviction means you're convinced about 
something, right? I mean, that's where that word comes from. There's an absolutism to this. Um, I've heard people say that, you know, hey, if we, when we die and it, Christianity ends up not being true, well, at least I've lived with some something purposeful. It's like, no, I, I would never want to live with the possibility that I could be wrong. This is a, a core passion. It's driven deep into my soul. And again, I, I, I know that I don't want to get too, we're not going to get into some of the other questions here about tiers of, uh, you know, importance of theology. But uh, yeah, Paul, help us out with this. Help me out because I'm really wrestling with this. I could be wrong notion. Yeah, the the and I could be wrong with that. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the communication from our national leadership to say uh, that yes, there's only one meaning from Scripture, and that an issue like this we won't know until we're actually in heaven. I think is contradictory to passages like John chapter 16, where the Holy Spirit will teach us truth. Uh, that uh, Scripture, if it only has one meaning, and if God has given us the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, then we can know these truths. Uh, the the hard part, I think, and why we get to this, well, there can be two different views, is how people look at Scripture. And if you take uh, it out of context, you can come up with 10 different views. Uh, but when you have uh, the Scriptures that are cited for this issue, and you say, well, we're going to use this one here in this passage in Ephesians 4, because it uses the English word pastor, well, and you're going to talk about spiritual gifts and these things and leadership positions, you you could, I mean, there is a lot more than two sides on this issue in one sense, uh, just from reading arguments, even from non-Christians on this issue, there are some weird and crazy things that are so far from Scripture because people open the door to say, well, we're going to let them interpret it this way, and I'm going to interpret it this way, and we'll one day in heaven know. that That's just a cop-out, and that's, that's mm-hmm. not holding to Scripture in its truth. What about the three tiers, the essentials, less essential, non-essential? What value is, is there in that, Dan? Because well, I, I think I this was think... seen as like a second tier issue, right? Yeah, or even third tier. I, I think there's certainly value in that. I mean, we when we're talking about the, the essentials or the absolutes, you've got the authority of Scripture, you've got uh, justification by faith, you've got deity of Christ, virgin birth, those things that, that we will never compromise on and we cannot compromise on. Uh, and then you have those second tier things, which you referred to, uh, more convictional, things like eschatology, um, baptism, views on sanctification, and, and maybe people are going to place different things in that second tier. But there's, there's, I think, pretty widespread agreement that these are things that people are going to disagree on and have disagreed on for centuries, and we still need to to see them as brothers and sisters of Christ. Absolutely. So I, I, and I think there's there's certainly value in that. Uh, my concern with how the debate progressed, the national conversation, is people put this in a second-tier category or even a third-tier category and, and said, hey, you know, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. And and this whole issue of, you know, women's ordination. Well, yes, it, it is a big deal. And, and yes, um, we need to be gracious and charitable to one another. Um, and maybe we're going to disagree what, what tier this is in. Um, but it is a gospel issue, and it does concern the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, any thoughts on that? I, again, I... I think the reason why some of these uh, places we've been in and where where it's come to with this is that um, 
the fear of man is so great and it's easier to throw out the option of, well, there's two different ways we can deal with this so that you don't have to take a stand or offend someone or um, have the fear of people being angry with you. And I think that's some of the reasons why, not just this issue, but you look at other denominations and other churches and where they've continued to uh, slide down a slippery slope, uh, this argument of, well, this is this is one interpretation, this is one, and they're both valid and one day we'll know, it, it just continues to show you uh, the future of churches that stray in this area. And I think we need to, we need to be concerned um, whenever we say, okay, we're big tent and we have many, many different distinctives and, um, or I should say positions, doctrinal positions. We've, we've got some Calvinists, we've got some Arminians, so we can just all agree to get along. If you promote that too much, then you're, you're going to be afraid to draw a line in the sand and really to plant your flag and say, this is what we believe. Uh, and I and I fear that that's where the CMA is at right now. We're afraid to, to draw a line in the sand uh, because we're afraid of man and, and what the potential consequences might be. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I, I feel we didn't cover everything that we talked about covering. Uh, Dan, you suggested before we hit record that there could be a subsequent podcast uh, to this. Uh, so I do I do want to wrap it up. Um, Paul, I see three groups out there. Uh, there's those who agree with you know this position that ordaining women is wrong. Secondly, there's a group who don't think it's wrong. And then those who are undecided, ambivalent. Um, what could you say as an encouragement to, to each one? And I'd also like you to speak a little bit to encourage the heart of the pastor that is stuck and afraid, nervous, doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, the, the book of Psalms has been such a encouragement and strength to me as I would read through passages uh, that King David would speak and you hear the trouble in his heart and the fear and you hear him calling out to the Lord for strength. And I would say, again, the Lord has promised uh, these things through his spirit and we uh, are in need of his strength. I mean, anytime that we try to uh, tackle any of these issues like this on on our own, uh, on our own power, we're, we're going to be wrong. We're going to stray. We're going to fall and be discouraged and, and just want to give up. And 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 I and that's the thing where I, I keep going. I mentioned earlier, but thinking about Joshua uh, warning um, the nation of Israel to not turn from the word of God. And uh, it is a, a day that we live in. Not just this struggle, disagreement, battle happening in our denomination, but as it was mentioned earlier. Culture wants Christians to change their mind on God and God's mm. word. And mm. so the need evermore for us to be uh, Bereans, students of the word of God, upholding the gospel in each and everything that's declared. And I think that as we seek the Lord in his word and hold the gospel high and to uh, uh, per- prayerfully seek the Lord in these things, that he will direct our paths. He, you know, his, his word is. Is a, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And I would say to all of the brothers in Christ out there that may be struggling is, one, don't sit in your office and just be alone. Uh, you need brothers in Christ that will encourage you mm-hmm. to uh, challenge you, to ask you tough questions. In this whole 
process in the last 20 years, I've had brothers in Christ who do not agree with me challenge me to give them scripture and why. And that has been so helpful for me in that you, mm-hmm. you need to not be the lone pastor. Uh, uh, you need men, uh, you need men and women who will pray for you. You need uh, those who uh, can come alongside and take things off your plate because the word of God should be first and foremost what you're studying uh, in your times of prayer. Uh, and if administrivia, if if administration in the church, I, I know there's always stuff that needs to be done, but they can so distract uh, that we then are weak on issues uh, of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, um, I'm praying for you. I, I love the brothers and sisters in the CMA. Uh, again, that we will uh, be with the Lord for eternity is a, a joy we look forward to. Uh, and at the same time, um, my heart's desire is that the Christian and Missionary Alliance and the pastors and the members uh, would be moved by the Holy Spirit of God uh, to hold to the truth of God, and that God would continue to bless the uh, work of the gospel going out. Mm, wonderful, Amen. wonderful encouragement, Dan. You want to wrap it up, and then uh, we were talking about also how important it would be for you to close in prayer. Yeah, just just the only thing that I would add to that is uh, just the word boldness comes to mind, and I think of Philippians one. 14, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, I mean, that's that's bad, mm. right? Are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Mm. So l- let the the, encur- the the encouragement of the scriptures, let, let that drive you, as Paul said, and, uh, you know, do everything that you can to to love your people if you're a pastor and, and serve them, shepherd them. Um, and Christ is on his throne. He is uh, glorifying his name. He's building his church. So we have that that confidence. We can rest in that. Yes, we're going to suffer in different ways, uh, but he's sufficient and, mm. and he's building his church. So that that would be just kind of the, the, the final word that I would give. Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, I guess this has been our national conversation and we hope it is viewed as a, a, a conversation uh, that we hope people will continue to struggle with. And uh, we will invite you to interact with us. And uh, Paul might even option that hat someday. We'll see what he decides <laughs> to do with it. So Dan, why don't you... Uh, close us in prayer. Sure, I'd be happy to. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. I thank you for my brothers, Paul and Mitch, and their faithfulness. And Lord, we just pray for the person, for the pastor, the leader, the layman who's struggling through this. Lord, give them much grace. Um, give them much guidance. Lord, we know that you are faithful and true. We know that you have spoken clearly through your word. So Holy Spirit, just illumine our hearts. Give us understanding standing, lead us into all truth. And and we do pray for uh, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We just pray that um, you would be with its leaders, national leaders, district leaders, pastors. Uh, Lord, we just pray that that this would be a denomination that truly upholds the Word of God, where men and women uh, come to faith in Christ and are built up in the Word. So would you do a a great work in our midst and glorify your name? Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. 
He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.